Back to the basics. Paul had an interesting time on Mars Hill in Athens, and he was right in the center of the intellectual, cultural world in Rome. He was, in a sense, on the top. And he came up with a message. It was polished. It was a good bridge uh, introduction, the relatable uh, illustrations, polished thoughts, powerful conclusions, yet the response just wasn't there. I think at that time he noticed that when he got a response, it was before he actually went to the hill, it was when he started in the market square talking about Jesus and that Jesus, God, very God, became one of us, died on a cross, and rose again from the grave. He talked about the resurrection. And they go, whoa, whoa, wait, what are you talking about? This is really strange stuff. We want you to come and talk to everybody. But it's almost like instead of talking about what got their attention, he had this polished message. Didn't quite get there. But then he ended with Jesus and the resurrection, and there were some who came to know Jesus at that time. I believe this is when Paul realized it wasn't his, his polished presentation that was going to make a difference in people's lives. I think that's when he realized what impacts people's lives is simply preaching Jesus, his resurrection, simply. Just getting across his love for Jesus, who Jesus is, what Jesus has done for us that no one else could do, and that he rose from the grave and that he's alive and he wants to be a part of your lives today. And Paul learned, I think, Romans 10:17, as the Lord led him by the Spirit to, to write these words, faith comes from hearing. That is, hearing the good news about Jesus. And Paul's going to be heading for Corinth after he leaves Athens. And this is what he wrote to them. 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 2. Brethren, when I came to you, I did not come with excellence of speech or my own wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. I think he's saying I got back on track. I got back to the basics. I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ. Don't you love that? I love that. And him crucified. He rose from the grave. He's alive today. He wants to be in your hearts by God the Holy Spirit. Now, this brings us to Acts chapter 18. So grab your Bibles. Open up to Acts chapter 18. Paul leaves Athens. He arrives in Corinth. Chapter 18, verse 1. So after these things, after what we just talked about, Paul departed from Athens and he went to Corinth. Now Corinth is a port city, access to both seas. They call it the Bridge of Greece. It was the leading commercial center 
The population was at that time around 200,000, but it was also notorious for unbridled evil. All kinds of things were coming down in that city. And whenever a Corinthian was shown in a Greek play, he, was, he always played the drunk. Or a Corinthian girl was literally, in those days, slain for a woman of the street. Yet, this is what's fascinating. When God brought Paul to Corinth, Corinth was one of the most positive responses to the love of Jesus Christ that he experienced in his second missionary journey. Got me to thinking. Yeah, all around us it seems to get kind of darker and we're going through more struggles and more issues and a lot of things aren't going the way we as believers think they should. It's kind of darkness. But when the darkness comes, the light of Jesus just shines brighter. And that's what Paul found in Corinth. There was a great deal of darkness. But when he started sharing the love of Christ and the person of Christ and the cross of Christ and the resurrection of Christ, people's lives were turned right side up. So now he's in Corinth. Look at verse 2. And he found a certain Jew or certain Jews named Aquila and, and Priscilla. They were born in Pontus. They had recently come from Italy, his wife Priscilla, because the emperor Claudius had commanded all Jews to depart from Rome. They had had enough of the Jews in Rome. And <clears throat> he came to them. He found them in Corinth. So look at your notes. Number one, the emperor had expelled the Jews. Aquila and Priscilla fled to Corinth. They would eventually come in contact with Paul. Think about that. Isn't that the most wonderful contact they could have possibly made? So they went through a trial and a tribulation, but they ended up in, a, I believe, a divine appointment and is God good at divine appointments or what? Yeah, he is. Interesting how the Lord works, isn't it? So go to verse 3. So because he was of the same trade, tent makers, he stayed with them and worked. By occupation, they were tent makers. Paul sewed tents. And as he was working with these guys, in the marketplace, wherever they had set up shop, making the tents and so forth. Not only did he work on tents, but he started working on them. And as they were sewing the tents, they'd be talking. And they were Jews. And Paul would be talking about the, you know, the Jewish scriptures. And he says, have you thought about this? And have you thought about that? So what does Isaiah mean when he talks about a suffering servant? Who could that have been? And the Psalms, and this and that. And pretty soon, these uh, tent makers came to know Jesus as their Savior. And he's also working on the synagogue Jews. Verse 4, And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. 
And when Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews, look at this, that Jesus is the Messiah, is the Christ. So this interests me, the way this verse is put together. It's like he was in the synagogue and he was sharing the Old Testament prophecies and theology, but he never quite took the step, the daring step of saying, see all of this and what it's just, it's all about Jesus. Let me share him with you. <clears throat> it wasn't until Timothy and Silas arrived that he had the courage to take that step. And you can be very religious and you can, you can go to church, you can go to synagogue, you can do all these things. But if Jesus isn't the center, what do you have? Well, you don't have eternal life. You don't have a future and a hope. And so Paul was holding back and it intrigues me why he was holding back until these friends arrived. Well, have you thought about the tough times that he's gone through? Let's, I'm going to just kind of list those. It started with he was stoned and left for dead at Lystra. And then there was a major conflict over circumcision that brought him back to Jerusalem. And then the division with Barnabas over John Mark. And then... In Philippi, tortured, whipped, and imprisoned. And then he was chased out of Thessalonica. And then Berea by religious Jews. And then there's this poor response in Athens. All of this, I think, maybe had finally taken its toll on this guy. As, as strong as he was and as committed as he was to Jesus. He's human, and he's just struggling, possibly even being sidetracked from, wow, <clears throat> I don't know if I have the courage in, in another synagogue to bring up that it's Jesus who's the Messiah. I, I don't know. You know. I think this happens to the best of us, by the way. That's why we need each other. And that's exactly what God was doing here for Paul. Paul was encouraged and emboldened by the arrival of his friends Silas and Timothy. Ecclesiastics goes like this. Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone, wow. We're in real trouble. In your notes, number two, Paul was, yes, compelled by the Spirit, but I think one of the most encouraging things for Paul was he was encouraged by his friends. That's the one-two punch God, I think, uses all the time. Two pals, Silas and Timothy, they show up. Their fellowship just encourages him emboldens his witness. 
Listen, folks, don't underestimate how important the influence and how important the need for other Christian brothers and sisters is in our lives. That's why we have life groups. It's a time when we can really get to know one another, pray for one another personally, be there for one another, encourage one another. All the one another verses in the scriptures. It's so vital to the life of any church. Well, we know Silas and Timothy arrived also with financial support. We see that in other places in the Word. So Paul probably was kind of set free for a while from having to spend all of his time tent-making. He could devote his energy to ministry. It's like all of a sudden, whoo, there's a fresh wind in his sails. And he's back on track. He feels it, and here he goes. But just when things start to look up, you guessed it. You guessed it. Verse 6, And when they opposed him, and blaspheme, well, who's that? Well, it's the religious Jews in the synagogue. They're going, we're putting our foot down, we'll have enough of that, we're not going to allow this guy to ruin our religion. He shook off his garments and said to them, your blood be upon your own heads. I'm clean. I've shared with you the truth about your Messiah, the Christ. And from now on, I'll go to the Gentiles. Well, Paul, yeah, it shook him up a little bit, but instead of really allowing it now that his friends were there to completely shake him up, he shakes it off. And he moves on to those who he knew were ready to hear. So he departed from there, verse 7, entered the house of a certain man named Justice, one who worshipped God, probably most definitely someone, a Jew in the synagogue that responded to Paul's message about Jesus, gave his heart to him and said, Paul, I want you to come to my house and I'm excited about others getting to know Jesus. I want to be a part of that. He worshiped God, whose house was, oh, are you ready for this? Next door to the synagogue. So Paul says, I'll go to the Gentiles, but I'm not going very far. I'm going next door. And it's like open space, not only to the Gentiles, but it's right next door to the synagogue. So if there were some Jews who were listening to Paul, but held back because of what the religious Jews would think of them, this would give them more time to respond to Paul's message. So he's right next door. <clears throat> and these Jews in the synagogue, they couldn't help but see the miraculous taking place right next door. The joy of these new believers, both Gentiles and Jews. And this growing church is quite a spectacular scene that's taking place. Verse 8, Then Crispus the ruler of the synagogue, <clears throat> he's been watching all of this. He's probably gone back and looked at the scriptures. Wow, Paul said this. Yeah, that's what, and Paul said that. And wow, 
So Jesus really did fulfill all those scriptures. And it's just like Paul said. <clears throat> and so he started pay, paying attention. And he's watching. And the ruler of the synagogue, it says he believed on the Lord and his whole household did. And many of the Corinthians hearing believed and they were baptized. So what's happening next door to the synagogue is, wow, it's shaking things up. Paul is so irresistible in his message, it's undeniable. The ruler of the synagogue came to Jesus. Major breakthrough. The synagogue leader converted. How cool is that, huh? Amen. Very cool. But you know and I know that the evil one isn't going to put up with that. means the remaining religious Jews, they're going to react even more violently. Paul knows better than anybody. Oh, man. <clears throat> more trouble ahead. Now, verse 9, here comes the Lord. Now the Lord spoke to Paul in a night by a vision. And he says, don't be afraid. Now if he says, don't be afraid, guess what Paul was going through? He was afraid. Don't be afraid, but speak. Just keep on sharing. Do not keep silent. So, Paul's seeing this revival. He's remembering, oh man, every time God does incredible things, First time I get stoned at Lystra, and then the torture, the whipping, chased out of Thessalonica, Berea. He knew any time he saw spiritual gain, there's probably going to be personal pain. Oh, oh, man. Paul's still struggling, you see. Look at your notes, number three. And the Lord appear, appeared to Paul to give him the gift that he gives to us in those dark seasons of our lives. It's the promise of his presence. Don't you love that? And we start again with verse 10. For I am with you. And that's the personal promise. Jesus appeared to Paul in a vision right there in his bedroom. says, I'm with you, Paul. I'm with you. And then the Lord also gave him another promise. Look at the, as we go on in verse 10. And he gives him this promise. Even though it's happened so many times up to this point, he says, no one will attack you to hurt you. Can you imagine how Paul felt about that? Wow. So, I'm thinking about that, and i got to ask this question. you got to wonder why the Lord didn't protect Paul in the other places, don't you? Like Lystra, stoned, left for dead? Why didn't Jesus protect him before this? Well, I don't know. Honestly, I don't know. But this I do know. It's the promise made to Paul, but not only to Paul, made to you and I when we're going through struggles and difficult times. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. 
I will never leave you nor forsake you. So, how often is never? Never means never. I will never leave you or forsake you. So we can boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can, and I add this, mere man do to me? Whatever they try, I'm in, I'm in eternal good hands with my Savior who loves me. And Peter would go on to, to say this, casting all your cares upon him. Why? How can we do that? Because he cares for us. He cares for you. So Paul must have been greatly relieved. Boy, I know I would have been. <laughs> oh, really, Lord? They're going to get all upset and you're going to protect me and, and I'm not going to have to go through that pain here. Wow, how encouraging this must have been. And then, as we go on in verse 10, the Lord tells Paul why he's going to hold back the attack of the enemy at this time. Look at the end of verse 10. This is fascinating. The Lord says, I have many people in the city. What does that mean? It's, well, it's an amazing statement. It, Paul's just starting the ministry, and the Lord's telling him, well, you're just getting started. There's a multitude of people that are going to come to know me in this city. At the time, the Lord knew them, but they didn't know the Lord yet. What an incentive for Paul to keep on going and sharing his faith. So I thought about this. In my heart, I believe, and I wouldn't still be here if I didn't believe this with all my heart, that God has many people in Willows that he's going to call to become his children. He has many youth. He has many young people he has many children. I believe we've just scratched the surface for what God wants to do. Had a report from a realtor that there's a family moving to this area and teacher, and the teacher was hired in the school system, and they love the Lord with all their heart. Oh, that excites me. We need to be praying for our Christian teachers who are right in the middle of the battle for children's youth, hearts and souls for eternity. Oh, we need to be praying, supporting. I'm excited what God's going to do. I can feel it in my bones. There's many people in our neighborhoods, offices, schools that that are going to come to know Jesus, they just don't know it yet. Like the Lord told Paul, God knows their hearts. In fact, the Bible says they were foreknown prior to the foundation of the world. God foreknew that this would take place in Corinth. He foreknew that there's going to be a revival in Willows. 
that people's hearts are going to be touched like, like never before. I believe that. I can feel the winds of the Spirit moving again. Verse 11. And he continued there for a year and six months, teaching the Word of God among them. Oh boy, he's back to the basics. I love that. Look at your notes, verse number four. While we may not know exactly what the Lord's purpose might be, uh, like Paul did in Corinth, we can know that his plan and purpose is always for eternal good. And it's always flowing from his heart of love for his kids, for us. And these verses really have always touched my heart. Romans chapter 8, verse 28, we know all things work together for good to those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose. He who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall we not with him also freely be given all things? And verse 37, in all these things, and it talks about all the tribulations, and, and I think this is like almost like Paul's testimony as he's sharing this with the Romans. In all these things, all the things that I've been through, all the struggles that I've been through, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I'm persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing. Did he leave anything out? No. No. Nothing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Certainly Paul's testimony. So Jesus promises Paul, I love this. No one will attack you to hurt you. And yet, wait a minute. Here they come again. Are you kidding me? But Jesus, you said. Oh, well, look at verse 12 and following. When Galileo was proconsul of Acacia, the Jews with one accord rose up. They're coming after Paul again. And Paul is watching this and he's seeing it. And they brought him to the judgment seat. And he goes, oh man, I've been here before saying this fellow persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. And when Paul was about to open his mouth, give his defense, he's going to go, man, that's not true. I'm not teaching contrary to the law. I'm teaching what the law says, that Jesus, the Christ, fulfilled the law. But he was interrupted before he could even say anything in his own defense. Look as we go on in verse 14. Galileo said to the Jews, cut it off. If it were a matter of wrongdoing or wicked crimes, O Jews there would be reason why I should, and get this, bear with you. In other words, he doesn't think very highly of 
the Jewish people and their religion. Sarcastic remark. Verse 15, but if it is a question of words and names, your own law, deal with it yourselves. Get out of my court, for I do not want to be a judge of such matters. And he drove them. He forcefully removed them from the courthouse, the judgment seat. So Paul's seeing all this, and he's thinking, whoa, Lord. You promised. No one will attack and hurt me. Wow. Wow. You can imagine how his heart just was overwhelmed with joy. But that's not all that happened. Verse 17, Then all the Greeks took Sosthenes. He's the new ruler of the synagogue that stepped in when Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, came to Jesus and accepted Christ and left the synagogue and is now with Paul. So they took him and he was leading the charge against Paul to have Paul beaten and whipped and thrown in jail and thrown out of the town. And they beat him before the judgment seat. But Galileo, he goes, eh. Who cares? Who cares? He took no notice of these things. Evidently, the Jews in Corinth really didn't have very many friends of the Gentiles. The locals saw the sarcasm and the indifference of their leaders, and they go, well, we're tired of all of their, all of their demands. And they took it out on this new uh, leader, they roughed up Sosthenes and they tied him to a post. They beat him in front of the courthouse. And this makes a fascinating verse to me in 1 Corinthians 1.1. Very intriguing. Because what does Paul say there? He says, I'm Paul, I'm called an apostle. And this guy, Sosthenes, He's with me now. Apparently, after getting beat up by the Greeks in Corinth, Sosthenes puts his faith in Jesus. It took a beating to convince him, though, to follow the Lord, which is what it takes for a lot of stubborn people. Maybe not a physical beating, but maybe going through getting beat up financially or relationally or vocationally, before we're finally humbled and take a good look at Jesus and who he is and are willing to open our hearts to him. It takes a bruise or two before they're willing to follow. But this is my thought about what happened that day. Look at your notes, number five. Perhaps... Sosthenes was converted after his beating when Paul and Crispus, the former synagogue ruler, came forward to love on him, to care for him. He wanted to have Paul beaten severely. Instead, I think Paul stepped up and Crispus stepped up and they're loving on this guy. They're forgiving him. 
They're washing and bandaging his wounds. I think it's no doubt that what melted Sosthenes' heart was their love for him, and they were there for him. So cool. The synagogue can't keep a rabbi because they keep coming to Jesus. Don't you love that? So, verse 18. So, Paul, he remained for a good while. Jesus promised no attack will hurt you. So, he's, he's just digging in and he's sharing the love of Christ with person after person after person. There's a revival taking place. Then he took leave of the brethren, sailed for Syria. Priscilla and Aquila were with him. He had his hair cut off at Centria, for he had taken a vow, and he came to Ephesus, left them there, but he himself entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. So we're going to look back at Paul's Divine appointment, Priscilla and Aquila's divine appointment, number six in your notes. First, Paul works for them, and then he worked on them, giving them the gospel, and now finally he's working with them in the work of the gospel as they head to Ephesus together. Do you want a friend for life? a really good friend, share Jesus with them. You just never know who the Lord might be calling. And here, here they are. <clears throat> they become friends for life with Paul. We see them involved with Paul in the scriptures as we go forward. So he leaves Corinth on his way to Jerusalem. He gets this haircut why? Because he's taking a Nazarite vow. Why? I thought Paul wasn't into the law anymore. What's going on with Paul? Well, you have to remember, Paul himself is still a Jew. And in his heart and in his way, he is so thankful to the Lord that the Lord has done this mighty work in Corinth that he's been part of, and the Lord has protected him through it all. And there wasn't this pain that usually comes after the spiritual gain that he's always had to go through. And so he just takes a moment, just in his own way, just to say thank you to the Lord. And he's wanting to go to, to Jerusalem, and give a sacrifice, and just say thank you. And probably this is where we come up with Romans 12, 1 and 2. He, Paul is saying, I just want to be your living sacrifice, just out of thanks for your mercy and your grace and all that you're doing in my life. So we move to verse 20. And when they ask him to stay longer, Paul, we don't want you to leave. There's more work to be done. And he's going, I know, but don't you guys realize that we're all ministers? <laughs> okay? You just keep doing the work and watch how God touches hearts and lives. 
You'll be all right. Okay. And he did not consent. Verse 21, he took leave of them saying, I must by all means keep this coming feast in Jerusalem. This is my personal way of letting the Lord know how much he means to me. I'll return again to you, God willing. And then he sailed from Ephesus. So Ephesus is one of the most important cities Paul would come and visit. It's the heart of Asia Minor, today's Turkey. Population 300,000. But you see, Paul was in a hurry. He's not going to stay at this time in Ephesus. He wanted to be in Jerusalem. He wanted to be there in time for the feast. He wanted to be there to just share his love personally to Jesus. And he didn't care if anyone else saw that he was there. In fact, he probably didn't want the staunch Jewish religious leaders to even know he was there at that time. But I'll return again to you, God willing. So his ministry in Ephesus is going to have to wait until his third missionary venture. And we'll close this morning with this verse, verse 22. And Tyler, come on up. And when he had landed at Caesarea and gone up and greeted the church, he went down to Antioch. Okay, look at this next So going down to Antioch is really up on the map. What's that all about? Well, anywhere a a Jew would talk about leaving Jerusalem, it's always down. Whatever direction you leave Jerusalem, it's always down. When you go up to Jerusalem, you go up from north, east, south, west. doesn't matter. They went down to Antioch. So it's been two years since he and Silas left. I'm sure the believers in Antioch were just, we can't wait to hear what the Lord has done. This wraps up his second missionary journey. Paul's going to soon return to these Ephesians. We leave him as he heads towards Jerusalem and then back up home to Antioch. And then he will begin to prepare his heart and to share with the home-based church all that the Lord has done and the joy will be overflowing. So as we close this portion of Paul's ministry, when does the joy overflow? It's when... The Lord promises, I'll always be there. I won't forsake you. And when he promises, I will touch other hearts and lives through you. And when you start looking for divine appointments and you go, Lord, I believe you, who's next? And then you see the Lord work and boy, do things get exciting. And that's what I'm looking forward to around here. Amen? Let's stand and worship the Lord and tell him thank you for his love for us.
So we just sang about the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Is he alive? Oh, yeah. Does he have many people in willows and youth and children? Yeah, he does. They just don't know it yet. But they're going to find out when you step up and when I step up and share the love of Christ and that Jesus rose from the grave and he took our sins upon himself and he freely gives us eternal life. Is that the most exciting thing you've ever heard about? Amen. Okay, get out there. Go for it. God bless.